Hey, birds and bees. This is Cafe Machina, episode number 18. Chris and I, TJ, we discuss uh, what's pertinent today. We're coming from our isolated homes on a Zoom cast, recording to your ear holes and eye sockets if you watch YouTube. Okay, so drivers can be doing a whole multitude of things. They can be building yes. their own track in their backyard, or they could be simming in virtual <laughs> reality, or they can be just obliterating into their mindscape, or they could finding, be... Or they could be finding a new career. <laughs> <laughs> will, will racing be back before the end of the year? We also then talk about you know a lot of people have taught have spoken about after this passes and it will when this does pass if we don't change things that'll be the greatest mistake and it's been very clear that racing has taken a really big hit the whole racing economy and it and i think it's very illuminating uh we think it's very illuminating and so we have some solutions for your ear holes and, uh, you know, maybe a little bit uncommon, but I think timely. So we, we discuss it. We banter about all that's good. Uh, hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. Share this with your friends, with anybody racing. And um, we're, we're, we're trying different show techniques out. So if there's anything you guys want to see or hear about or have us talk about or come on the show... Uh, we're more than willing to explore. So I implore you on this Friday to grab a drink, do what you're doing, plug this into your ear holes, and tune in. been up to since last time we talked quarantine life quarantine I, mean, I see you're drinking a pacifico at 10 in the morning <laughs> on a friday on a friday it is a friday dude but the days just kind of meld together it's weird every, um, every day every day is a friday now yeah well it doesn't even feel like a regular day i don't it's, it doesn't make sense anymore days no. but i um i've been doing a lot more running because i think it's like i've gotten more uh attentive with the idea of just like opening up your mind when you run you know yep. it feels really good um and you feel that like when you're quarantining and you're inside for like a really long time just being able to run and like move your body and like shake your brain up a little bit it yep. feels kind of good and i've had some of like since this has started like going on a run i, I have all of my epiphanies then you know where i'm like Poof! And it just hits, you know? Yeah. Um, and so... Do you, do you run with music or do you run without? Uh, either. Sometimes yeah. with music to get it going. But then I like to pause and just kind of... I'll even like... I'll stop a walk after like a hill or something. And just like think about 
whatever, wherever it took me, you know, like wherever my mind got taken to from the run, I'll just run it out. I'll just play it out. You know, I pretty much, I pretty much never work out with music. Yeah. Never. It's weird, but I just, I think working out, you know, is one of the best ways to kind of have those moments where you get to clear your head and, and think about things yeah, or not think about things. And I've always been pretty self-motivated. So I don't really need like a music to motivate me to get going. Mm. But I've always thought like not having music helps really kind of get in the zone. I know everyone's different, right? But for me personally, like not, not music, music can distract me where if I have no yeah. music and it's silent and I'm just focused on my form, what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, um, I'm a no music guy. Yeah. I see what you mean. It's like, it's almost like a disconnect kind of, you disconnect your brain a little bit from what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. The thing, I think it depends on the music though, too, because like there's some music that gets me more like into my body than if I would, even if I were focusing. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, you if know? I'm doing yoga, I'm definitely generally not listening to heavy metal and rap <laughs> yeah. though, though in Atlanta, I used to go to uh, a place called, uh, Oh, what was it called? Oh, it wasn't the studio wasn't called, but they had metal yoga at night Really, and they'd play and you metal and yoga. And then in, LA, there's a place called Yoga Hop that played a lot of hip hop. They had different like normal yoga, but mainly like their main thing was like playing like hip hop and R and B uh, to yoga for yoga. Yeah. And I actually really enjoyed that. Yeah. But normally, my, I think my go to for um, if I am going to listen to a little bit of music working out is normally rap. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, like, like right now, like the baby, like uh, that song, that new song or newish song he has, Bop. I get <laughs> down with that working out. Uh oh, I think uh, yeah, I can do a little bit of ASAP, little little bit of Yay, uh, but also I like rock, whatever. It honestly, it can be, it can be piano, it could be orchestra, it could be. I have a vast, like weird music range yeah. i don't like playing my playlist often with people because it's going to be weird you know oh, i'm the same way i'm the same way it'll jump from a country song yeah to a metal song to a rap song it's mood based it's it's yeah it's I'm really mood based way. and setting too like if you're gonna go hang by the pool or something that type of music is so different than like car driving music you know do you, do you have a car driving music playlist no, no, but really, my wife, my wife does. She does all the playlists. I just like but because in Nico, we play a lot of like, like we're into right now. He's into the Greatest Showman, so we do a lot of Greatest Showman, a lot of Taylor Swift, yeah, sure. a lot of Harry Styles. <laughs> um, which I, I really like Harry Styles music, his like his solo career music. Yeah, um, we used he used to be big into Hamilton, so we used to listen to a lot of Hamilton. Uh, there's one other thing we listen to a lot. I can't remember it, but here's what um, I, here's what I think. Like, because you're, I mean, because you're a race car driver, you, you have like, you're at least a little bit sensitive to like the way you feel when you drive. Right. Yeah. So like 
what I like doing is playing different types of music when I'm driving and you can see how much it changes, like a little bit of like your flow. Oh yeah. When you're going through stuff. Cause you're, cause you notice it. Like you're more, yeah. obviously you're in tune with the car a lot more yeah. than the average person. So I like playing that game where you just, I find out music based on like how it makes me feel when I'm driving, like on a country road or something. It, it changes your posture in Everything. the car too. I've noticed. Yeah. Like your posture changes you immediately get when a different song comes on. You kind of scoot your seat. You know, yeah. You can either be kind of slouching and then all of a sudden your butt's kind of scooches to the what back is of the that? seat. You're sitting <laughs> up a little bit more. What is that? I don't know. It's weird. It's yeah. weird. Okay. But it's been, yeah. This 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 time period, man. It's been making me think a lot about what what drivers you know can be doing in this off time other than just playing on the sim sure right um how they can prep to be ready when the season gets going and that's physically mentally prepping for every track that you probably are going to be at right but also prepping with your team and with your sponsors you know especially you know we talk a lot in the more in the junior formula ranks but even if you're kind of a, emerging in the sports car world, um, you know, and you have a personal sponsor, you know, this is a, a time where you as a driver really need to really think about yourself as a brand and as an ambassador for this company and going above and beyond what maybe your, the expectations were for you in the beginning, because it's going to be very, it's going to be a tough time where in a week in tomorrow, in a month, the sponsor, you could get a call or email that just says, Hey, we got to, we got to pull it, man. Even if you have a contract in place and there's nothing you're going to be able to really do about it. Right. These are, these are times where. What type of litigation options do you have? Uh, well, it depends on how much it sponsorship is, but like if they can't pay know, it, they can't pay it. Right? They can't pay it. They can't pay it. You're going to, if you go to litigation, you may get a court order for them to have to pay it depending on how good the contract is. That doesn't mean that they're going to pay it though. So, you know, then you got, then you got to decide, are you going to be the asshole that shows up with a sheriff that says, give me cash God. or we're going to start taking things from your office. And check it out. You're never going to get that sponsor again. <laughs> well, and it's going to be hard for you to get sponsors again, right? Because yeah, you're not gonna it's showing, that. well, it's a different time, right? Man, we need to have a little bit more empathy in general during this time. And if you can't understand the situation that they're in mm -hmm. and understand, then I don't know how you're going to move forward in your racing career because you're going to hit hurdles like that consistently moving up through your racing career. Yeah. Um, it's just going to happen. It's going to happen where, you know, you thought you did a good enough job to keep your ride for the next year and you don't have a ride the next year. Yeah. Right. So, and we see it in professional sports. We see it, you know, with, you see it with professional athletes, you see it with race car drivers. I mean, look at James Hin Hinchcliffe. You know, we've talked about it uh, on a previous podcast, but he, he handled that so professionally he did. Um, there's a reason why he's gotten opportunities because it, it, he, that could have been a very sour, he could have gone pretty public with that sure. and been, 
you know, said bad things about the team. Not saying that there are bad things to say, but he could have, you know, come maybe said things that he would have regretted, but he didn't. He handled it like a true professional. Um, so I think, you know, drivers just need to stay in contact with their sponsor and team and say, hey, what can I be doing? Not only for myself as a brand, but what can I be doing to help your your team sponsors, right? That help you keep going. They may not have any association with me. Maybe we can do something together where my personal sponsors can work with your team sponsors or series sponsors, be in contact with the series. Hmm. How can we work together to continue to help drive traffic, one, so that the brand still getting their money's worth and their presence. Because, yeah. right, we should be in the middle of almost every racing season right now. Yeah, what is it? It's April. Yeah, I think uh, next weekend was when the last kind of racing series was supposed to start. The USF4 and F3 championship was starting yeah. this weekend or next. Yeah, and where would IndyCar be at? Like, they would have done Coda. There would have been coming, coming They up. would have been coming to Long Beach next weekend. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it's, it's one of those things where you maybe would never say or you wouldn't think about it and you the team, the team or the uh, the series would have to come to you to be like, hey, you know, let's see if we can do something together. But no, this is a time as a driver, you need to take that upon your shoulders and say, hey, I need to do what's best for myself, my team, the racing series, and we all need to work together. And if you're not doing that, after done listening to this, you need to jump on the phone, get on your emails and start talking to everyone about talk to other drivers. Yeah. You know, talk about talk, say, Hey, let's stream together. You know, kind of like what Max Verstappen and Lando Norris have been doing. Yeah. They're doing a lot of streams together on Twitch. They're that, you know, they're putting out YouTube videos and content because they know their fan base are are pretty much the same. If you're a Verstappen fan, you're probably a little bit of a Norris fan. Yeah. Right? It's really genius. Uh, it's a, it is. It's a really genius crossover. And don't, and this is also a time to like, don't be afraid to pull out your little black book or ask for favors from other people that, you know, have a bigger Rolodex than you do. Um, this is a time where probably, you know, when people would have said no, you're probably more likely to get a yes, or you're probably more likely to get in contact with someone that you weren't going to be able to get in contact. Like and that's driver. not about going and trying to sell yourself to find money sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Not what this is about. This is about going out there and just seeing if you can work together with another company or another person to drive business. Yeah, and just to, help to out the people. And it's not and you got you. It's not about you, right? right? It's, help it's out about, in any way. Help out in any way. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think, you know, drivers can really, really push. Obviously, the physical side of things, um, getting out, working out, you know, working out at home is pretty easy, you know? Yeah. Got a helmet. Most people, if they're a driver, they have at least a few dumbbells or a dumbbell at home. Yeah, Maybe honestly, an exercise band. If you don't, you should get on Amazon. Easy, easy order on Amazon, although like they're starting to really delay yeah. different stuff. You should, have a, you should have a road bike, a rower, or you're running outside. You can still do <sighs> yeah. that. Yeah, some right. type of cardio I think is important. I was saying running, but yeah, obviously road bike, a, a rower would be great. If you have that Peloton bike, you can do rental things, which are pretty, pretty cool. 
Um, but I'll say this. If you, if you are not in the best shape of your life, you gotta be by the time you get back in a race car, you wasted an opportunity. Yeah. I mean, that should be a given. I think like physical shape should be a given. I think what people should be also focusing on is mental shape and like, you can right now you can sharpen that blade for mental sharpness. And that, yeah. that I think is something that obviously in racing, it really, it can be the X factor. And this is a time you have time to work on it. Like most of the time, the mind thing is like kind of put on the back burner, but now is a great time to get sharp. And so it's like simming is simming, simming is a part of it. Right. But there's other things you can be doing to, to keeping it sharp. And I think that's that's the important thing. And maybe even like going to school, like an online school or something, um, you know, just something to keep working it out. Even if it's reading, you know, just kind of embedding your your mental side of things into racing. Just give yourself more tools, more resources, more knowledge. Right. It's just this is a time when everything slows down. If you if you had to if you had to pick one thing that you could really sharpen yourself on the mental side of things what, what would you be doing right now um i mean i would start at focus i would start at focus there's there's a, so much you can do but i would start let's at name focus. Some, let's name let's name something so name one thing that we can how can we improve focus as a driver uh, to be able to compartmentalize <laughs> you know a mistake or like, how can we, how can they work on that? Yeah. I mean, you start, I, I start with meditation. Um, you just focus on your breathing. Meditation uh -huh. has like a connotation to it. Like it's spiritual in some way, but it's really like for, on the racing side of things, you just use it to focus on something and you realize how easy it is to, to unfocus, you know, yeah. and we live in like this ADD world where there's a thousand different, like, stimulus that we could be interacting with and so like our attention span is like nothing so just taking like 10 or 20 minutes and like trying to focus on your breath and don't try to breathe just like focus on the, the in and the out you'll notice like when your mind like you think about writing that email or like what the fuck chris just said on the podcast and you're like okay i gotta do a bunch of shit you're not focusing on your breath and you just right. lost focus yep. and the amount of times that happens in a race car or probably even when you're simming or something like, you know, uh, is, is a lot. And any time that you're taking yourself out of that present moment is it's kind of a loss. Like who knows what's going to happen? You know, you're definitely not optimizing. So I think just taking a moment to meditate. And then yeah. I remember I did one of these things at, at iZone a few years back where like, I don't know how much it worked, but we would, we would be simming on whatever circuit we had next. And I was like really, really familiar with the track and the car and the setup. And we were just like doing race sims and everything. And what you would do is you'd start a lap and you'd start at like 200 and you'd, you'd subtract by three the whole lap. And oh, you, wow. Yeah. And you can't like, can't take a break. Even when you're braking, even when you're like rolling speed, any moment, just keep, keep going. Yeah. And it I was, think it's interesting like, to see the, the lap time difference and oh, like bet. how you have to like really focus to like chisel away at it and like think, okay, like I got to find a rhythm here, like something, what's the commonality here of like minus three, minus three. 
Um, but I, th I thought it, you know, it, it's helpful. I think another thing that could help too is if you're doing the sim is going and turning off the sound, mm. right? And seeing if you can if you can match that lap time with sound off, right? Yeah. Like forcing yourself to you to to take away one of your inputs. That's good. And and seeing if you can start to connect on a little bit different level, right? Right. Um, I think I think that's something that that can help. I think even you know, put uh, getting a pair of glasses and, and covering up one of them, so you're only working off one eye right and doing a couple laps and then switching it over and doing a couple laps yeah um probably a lot of people will realize like oh shit <laughs> just small things like that that you can start to just train i know i think we've even said this before i know a couple people in indycar that used to train with fighter pilots and what they were doing was training their vision because fire pilots what they're able to really do is they're able to use their peripherals but still be able to look at their instrumentation uh-huh right yeah. like dog fighting and so what they were using that for was when they're you know you're driving 230 you know 220 230 miles an hour and you're entering turn one and they're asking you you know you got to make a change on the weight jacker right or you have to take a glance down at a message on the dash yeah and you guys still be looking up the road and they said they're they got really good at using one eye for the track and one eye to be able to kind of just look down slightly at the really. Yeah. Did, so drivers are training with fighter pilots. Well, I know some that have. Yeah. And what would they, is it like a gym that you would go to or just, no, I'm sure they just like, programs I'm sure it's like X fighter pilots that have like programs. Uh, it's like, I know, you know, it's like, like yeah. Jocko, like some of the Navy SEAL guys have programs where they come in, they talk with like executives and sure. stuff. That works in the sports world too. I know some people that have trained with Navy SEALs and stuff that work on the mental side huh. um, of being mentally tough and what mentally tough really is. Yeah, that'd be being able to, you know, deal with any situation. Because they say, you know, in in Navy SEAL training, a lot of the stuff, the pressures that they put is just, to, it's literally to force you to crack and whether or not, you know, they're like, it's supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be comfortable. It's not supposed to be easy. But if you can make it through this, we know you at least have the baseline of with being able to withhold, you know, withstand this kind of stress. What's an example of like what they would do? Well, the cold water, right? Because, you know, it's just up mainly in Camp Pendleton, just yeah. 30 minutes from me. Um, that's where they do seal training too. That's where they do a lot. Yeah. Um, they do uh, a lot of the cold water stuff. Um, I think they said, you know, one of the things they do is like they drop them off somewhere for and like, they don't know where they are and there's like no communication. They have nothing, no food, no, like a little bit of water. Yeah. Really? And like no communication for like, days whoa that's pro i mean that part's probably easy <laughs> for guys like that right yeah but you gotta remember these are San not Diego. these are people trying to be seals that's these aren't true. like seals yet that's true so yeah i think a lot of the cold water stuff is there's a lot i mean i would imagine it's like things that are when when you when they're like all right you have to do this you're probably like yeah that's impossible 
Like it's nearly impossible, but it's just the mental side of it. Being able to like pursue it, do it somehow the body makes it through. Yeah. And then you complete the task and it's just a life of that. Hardcore. That's crazy. I mean, seriously, those are hardcore bad dudes. Yeah. But like, that would be, man, if you could, if you could get that training, like, cause yeah, you would be, you'd be a rock to adversity. Yeah. You know, which is so crucial. Not like two hour race going with the ebbs and flows. Like say you're in top five and then you botch a pit stop. You're in 25th, keeping your head in it. Like right. those types of things. It's yeah. On, on good days, it's, it's easy to be okay with it, but man, sometimes it's really hard. So anyways, um, what were we just talking about though? You were talking just about the dri- driver drivers being ready and the simming thing, the simming, you know, I think, yeah, I think the, you know, the simming thing is, is interesting. You see a lot of the big name drivers getting into it guys that aren't really into it just doing a few races here and there i think it's more kind of what we just touched on where i think some of their sponsors and teams are like hey like you're a factory driver for us or you know our sponsor like we need you to get out there and be a part of these esports series yeah um just because you gotta keep your name out there right even even if you're just messing around and but you got to keep your name out there. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was, I, for, I, I completely forgot what I was going to say, but um, the, do you, you know, like the light thing when it's, it's like the lights up here and then it like goes to the right. Yeah, you yeah, see, you yeah. see it with pit fit and everything. Yeah. Uh huh. Is that. Like, you can buy those and there's a couple other companies now. Yeah. For sure. Every driver, every trainer that dri- trains drivers. Yeah. Of those should, good should have them. Oh, they're amazing. Really? So it's training. You can set it up at home, connect it to your iPad and you can be training reaction reflexes mm-hmm. every day. That's money. I don't know how expensive they are. Probably like I looked what, into it a couple uh, bucks. last year at the end of last year. And, uh, I forgot how expensive they are. Yeah. But there's another company that just came out with their own that I think are a little bit cheaper than the ones that PitFit uses and a few of the other people use. Okay, so it's that's like a good thing. Do, do you think that like by simming, you can make up for reaction timing? No. <laughs> Why? Because if you're just cruising around and you're not pushing it, I mean, you're no. But not if you are, on. if you are pushing it, if you're if you're driving it like it's like it like you stole it. No, it's still different. It's different. So working so. out that muscle is is more like that's going to do more than if you were to just because, you know, sim, sometimes sim, sim. sometimes when you work out, even if you like really, really train, you just can't like simulate the amount of G forces it puts on you or some of the muscles that you use. Yeah, right. Right. Like, right. And so like I just, remember in, in even in like my peak physical form. Like I'd get back and drive a cart and I hadn't been in a cart in, in months. And I'd be like, Oh my gosh, like I am so <laughs> sore. Like how, what? Like I, I'm wrecked after one day, yeah. but I'm like physically 
I'm in the best shape of my life, right? Yeah. But because I'm not driving, yeah, the little those little muscles I'm not using. How's your neck? My neck always is good. It's good. Honestly, um, for whatever reason, I have like, I have a strong grip, yeah. but my fingers get sore. I've always had a problem with my feet, not, not my forearms. I don't get arm pump. My fingers physically get sore. Um, only in a go-kart. Never, I'd never had that problem in a race car, even in a two and a half hour stint. Yeah. It never a problem. I've had it in a race car where my thumb the tendon to my thumb is like painfully like over the top yeah it, it's i i broke my thumb before so, so it's only one thumb uh yeah i think it's mostly my right yeah but, but i'm right hand dominant but maybe it's from the break but uh does that affect anything too if you're right hand dominant on a steering wheel do you ever like pull more to one way versus the other and also there's the whole thing about like you're either you're either on the steering wheel you're, you're a puller or a pusher. Yes, but I would say in general if you're in kart racing you're pushing in cars you tend to pull more. Cuz the only reason yeah. why you're really pushing on a kart is to transfer weight. Yeah. And to stabilize yourself in the kart more where if you pull, right, your, your body is naturally being pushed a little bit forward, right? And weight's coming off the back, or at least it's not being pushed. When you, when you push into a corner, you can transfer weight and push weight into the back of the seat. You're also creating, because you're pushing on the steering wheel, right? You're creating a brace between you so that, you know, as you go over bumps or you know, the, the small micro movements, you're uh, minimizing those. But in a car, that doesn't really matter too much, right? So the leverage to pull, because it's easier to turn when you pull, right? Because you have leverage. It's not as easy to turn pushing. Right, right. right? So actually, against... one of the things I do with a lot of my drivers is, um, even if they are doing it correctly, I will have them go drive two laps, pulling. So one arm on, on, their, on their chest. Uh-huh and then use one arm to turn and then the other way using the next arm for another two laps. And then we'll go through each corner and say, Hey, okay. So what was different yeah. now? Generally the, the, the lap time where you're pushing. So if it's a, uh, you know, be like a, a clockwise, if it's a versus... clockwise track, right. And you're using your left arm. Yeah. driving with your left arm, you're generally going to be faster than when you drive with your right arm. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. But it's more about the feel. I'm not, I'm not too worried about the speed. Right. Because normally when they do it, they're not pushing hard you're, enough you're, anyways. You're thinking. You're thinking. You're thinking. So like the time could vary just because you're thinking too much and you're not driving the same speed or you're not at the limit of what you can do. Yeah. But it's more about the feel and how much the cart is moving underneath you. Right. So you get that feeling, you go, oh, yeah, when I went through that right-hand turn, when I was using my left arm, wow, yeah, it actually was really smooth, and I could get back to throttle earlier. And then the next lap I went in, I mean, I could turn a little bit easier, but, man, I couldn't get back to power, and I had missed my apex. Yeah, right. You know, and I definitely didn't hit the corner right. You start to and learn, like, the, the differences. 
you learn the differences. Like you should never just be pushing and not pull. I mean, you got to use both, both arms, but yeah, you know, and you can, you know, like the British, I, I've noticed they, if you watch this, the style that the cadet kids, they, a lot of them, they dip their shoulder. So what they do is for that initial input, the first initial input, they like pull just a little bit and then they go and really brace. So, you know, they need, because they're not strong enough, the younger kids, they have to pull a little bit, but they're taught right after that kind of initial, they kind of lean in and they, and they really brace with that outside arm. Mm. Um, so there's a whole, do you think like people are teaching them how to drive like that? Oh, or I've seen videos where actually I think they do a lot of, I think iZone actually does a lot of training with some of the younger cart drivers. Mm-hmm. And I know there's one or two British teams that uh, have massive, massive cadet programs and win everything. And I've seen a couple of their couple of videos done around them. And they literally will, they have a cart sim set up and they literally will do sessions where all they do is work on driver posture and position in the cart. And they'll say, okay, when you come in here, yep, you just need to dip your shoulder a little bit more or nope, you're not bracing enough. No kidding. Yeah. I'll see if I can find a, we'll put it up as a clip on our page. I'll see if I can find that video again. Wow. So that that's really getting dissected now. But you know what? That's the thing where like I tell anyone I can talk to about this is like we focus in general as racing drivers at a young age, Mm -hmm. focus way too much on racing and not building the foundation (laughs) of driving. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. Like any other sport, you're building that foundation, you're practicing at least three to four days a week, mm-hmm. you know, and then you're maybe throwing a football, throwing a baseball, kicking a soccer ball every day of your life. You know, now that we have Sims, we can start to do that more. But in general, you know, no, when any anytime you're at the track, you're just going to try to go as fast as you can. You're not actually working on a skill that's yeah. fundamental yeah. that you need to have perfected so that it can become subconscious. Yeah. Right. You're totally right. It, it's really easy too when you're going into a race season uh, or championship or anything to get swept away and like you kind of ditch the learning curve, like the bell curve thing for going after lap time, like going yeah. after setup, yeah. doing the yeah. whole process to be quicker, you know, on the top of the charts. But and you can feel that you can feel when you kind of ditch that moment, you know, because when you're focused just on learning, like the the micron doesn't even fucking matter, you know, Take it, it, off. it just does for like Take reference to know your consistency, but it literally just, like get it out of out, there. If you're training, if you're all just testing training, trying to improve, take it off. Yeah. Who cares about the lap time? Right. You got to feel Most this. Likely shit. you're going to go slower if you're learning something new that's different. Yeah. Than it's, what you're typically And that's doing. frustrating. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. And people ditch that. They ditch it when they see the lap time. They can't get over that. You know, one of the craziest things I see these days, and I think I was talking about, I did a, a po- podcast called Off the Grid uh, with some of my karting friends. Yeah. And we were talking about this, where it's amazing the amount of drivers you see today, young drivers, I should say, that just miss corners because they're unwilling to turn the wheel a little bit more yeah. to make the corner. Right. And you're in like, racing too, in cars. What are, you do- what are you doing? Just turn the wheel more. Just do it. But then you see it like, you know, at, at, at uh, Porsche Experience yeah. Center, we see it a lot where guys will just, they'll go like this and they're barely turning the wheel. Turn like, Why aren't you wheel, turning baby. more? And they'll go, oh, well, I 
think I would spin out if I turned more or the car would slide. I'm like, we're so far sure? under the limit, so far under the limit. Just turn the wheel more. Do you think it's just because of fear of spinning out? Uh, I think it's, yes, I think in the general driver category, I think in a racing category, I think it's pounded so much into a driver's head to be smooth. You're only supposed to turn the wheel this much. There isn't enough emphasis on, well, what if I miss my turn in point? What if I carry in a little bit too much speed? What if I have a little bit of understeer yeah. now, this yeah. session compared to last session? We always what talk if about I start perfect, to pick up understeer? God, that's a good point. We always talk about like the perfect line. Whenever you read books, whenever you hear people talking about it, the perfect line. But we never talk about like fail safes when it's not the perfect line. When you turn in that skosh too early and you got to deal with it, you're rolling in speed. You know, like I feel like that's that too, being adaptable so that if I turn in a little bit earlier here, it's not the end of the world. Look, look, Lewis Hamilton is not turning in the exact same point no. every single lap. No, he's just a doing, he's like, it's just a different brake release, different rotation pattern. You just got to be familiar with all of them. Yeah. And you just, but, and then you're adaptable. But the, only, but the only way you do that is by working on those fundamentals. I, a, a great thing that you can do, go buy some cones, okay? If you're a dad, you're out with your kid, go buy some cones. Yeah. Okay? I like the soccer ones that uh, are kind of flat. So if the cart hits it, it doesn't really do anything. It maybe flies up. Then maybe get one or two tall ones, different colors. Go to a break zone. If you're lucky enough that you can get some empty track time, go to a break zone. That's a heavy break zone or even not if it's heavy break zone, set a cone out where your driver is consistently breaking. Yeah. Then put a cone out. That's another three feet later and say, now you have to break here. You have to somehow make the corner. doesn't matter. You don't have to be fast through the corner, but you have to be on the limit trying to make the corner. Keep pushing that until the driver literally cannot make the corner. And there's two folds. Why I like doing that one it helps them figure out what, what the real limit is. Yeah. Two, there's a lot of drivers I see, especially young drivers that are, have trouble managing out breaking someone into a brake zone, right? So you can start to work on brake release, right? How long do I have to hold the brake for to continue to make the corner yeah. to make sure I don't just blow past the corner and the guy undercuts me and gets a better run off the corner and passes me back, right? But if you're just driving around and the only time you get to practice that is in a race or practice situation where you're not actually thinking about what's happening and how you do it, then how are you going to be able to repeat that on a consistent level? Yeah. How are you going to be able to three corners, I mean, three laps later, you're coming up to someone in the same corner, but you're maybe a half a cart further back, but you know, this guy breaks early. How do you know what the limit is of how deep you can go and, and what you need to do, what if that guy decides he wants to release the brake and try to carry the outside? That's the thing. Yeah. What do you do? You, do you do you have enough experience? And you don't need another go kart to practice these things, right? You Even just have to be aware to know them. to also release the brake, right? To keep yourself right next to him to yeah. take away the corner for him, or just to go and then are you able to just not break too hard where you lock up the brakes again, or you over slow, like? You need you can practice this, that. Stuff this is what home. I you can practice that stuff when there's 10 go-karts on the track. Yeah, this is what I mean. I would advise if you're trying this, it's better when you 
don't have anybody on the track. It's also good if you're if you have runoff in that corner, just as a precautionary. Sure. But it also it helps psychologically to get to prove that point. Sometimes it's yes. just it's harder to break through. Um, but this is why I always I always tell people too, like there I've seen guys that don't do karting and then they go to race cars and they can be competitive for sure. But this this is that part when you don't do karting that I feel like you miss because people are far less inclined to do that in a car that's like bigger, it weighs more, and it's just it feels weirder to go off in a race car off the track than yeah. it does in a go-kart. In a go-kart, it feels like you're still like in your backyard kind of. If you're at kind of like a bootsy club track or whatever, it's like it doesn't feel that like professional. Like that's okay to do stuff like that. Right. When you're in a race car, you don't have a lot of those luxuries and you'll probably damage the floor or something, you know? And so like yeah, a, you're, you're talking thousands of dollars worth of damage, not a hundred, two hundred dollars worth of damage. Exactly. And yeah. if that, I mean, you know, you can take off a front bumper if you have to. Right. You know? Um, but I, I do feel like there's there's such value in like going out there and like taking the micron off. You don't know any lap timers. You are purely basing everything on feel, you know? And and it's true. Like when you get behind another driver, all of the stuff that you've been practicing, you ever feel that like when you go to a track that you like, you've never been to and like, you're trying to actually, no, not a track you've never been to. It's a track, you know, you've been testing out a little bit and you go to it and like, you realize when you start racing with people like, Oh shit, like everybody has a, like, this is, there's different lines going on. It's kind of like, I, I have to focus up to like follow people in the same way. Cause like, I just saw someone break release, like, crazy earlier you know but yeah, they're slower think, it, but it's like if you're in a race situation you know and it's like a battle you have to plan for that you have to be able to ebb and flow with someone that has a different break release there and not let that twofold if you're learning a track and you have a certain way you like to drive not just abandoning how you like to drive just because you see someone else driving a different way when you don't know if it's faster or slower yet. Right. Yeah. Like I've had, I've had drivers come in and go, Oh, well I saw this person do this. And I'm like, but you were faster than them. Yeah. And faster than them in that section. So why did you change to their, well, he's a good driver. So I thought it's like, yeah, but you were, but what you do and how you do it still works. Right. And you were faster than that person. So you don't, don't do it. Don't need to. And not letting it distract you. You gotta be you objective. Start, not that you change, but you start underdriving. Yeah. Or overdriving. But you let it distract you. You're in your head. Doing, yeah. That's well, that guy opens up in a double apex corner. He's like a cart or a car wider than I am in the center of the corner. Yeah. Okay, cool. He also probably isn't carrying as much minimum speed through the center. Yeah. The only here's the thing. The only you may time get a better you... run off off the corner, but maybe you can slip on the inside there. The only right? time Maybe there's a passing opportunity. I feel like the only time when it's worth it to overanalyze that is when it's like, like in carding, when you're already in the heats and like, you know, he's going to be quick, but you're also quick. And so it's like finding little stuff where you like, you could get an advantage, but well, on I the grand scheme of things, like, especially in racing, you never, you're never able to know that much, you know? And, and I had a teammate in carding that, uh, drove way different than me very much 
late apex, you know, almost missing the rubber on the entry, really got the corner squared up, tons of exit speed, right? Where I carried much more speed into the entry and through the middle and turned in earlier. Now, on a given weekend, you'd go one race, I'd be faster. Next race, he'd be faster. We're the same. We'd equal out. We'd probably about the same speed. Yeah. Right. But two totally different ways. There was one race I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to try his line in this one corner. I think it is maybe a little bit faster. I didn't even understand how he could make it work. Really? I was like, I tried it for yeah. a whole section, like 10. Laps. I was like, <laughs> there's a single lap. I made that work. It's not even worth it. Oh, slow down like two tenths. The only I picked one yeah. corner and said, I'm going to tr- change my line in this one corner. Could not even come close <laughs> to the times I was turning before. Went back out, drove the same the next session, how I normally did. Back to the times I had r- been running. Yeah. So and I think it's you, you. We talked about this before where, you know, everyone's going to have a style that they develop in a young age. Mm-hmm. That doesn't, if it works for you, that doesn't mean you have to change your style completely. You know? Yeah. Yeah, because it'll you, benefit you. Need, you, you just need to places. make small, small changes for maybe a different tire you're on. Yeah, maybe the car is different, right? Maybe you're you've never driven a car that's turbocharged, and now you're driving a car that has a little bit of turbo lag, right? How do you need to change your style a little bit for that mm-hmm. car that doesn't like to be trail braked as much, or a car that wants to be trail braked more? Love it, right? Small changes, but you're not going to change your style drastically. None, none of the. I would say probably none of the big, big name famous guys you've that are household names are changing their styles drastically from one car to the next. Yeah. They're figuring out how to make their style work for that car. Right. Right. So how would you right now when you're in quarantine? Yeah. Because uh, we can go down that rabbit hole, but let's refrain for now. Refrain. For now. But if you, is it possible? Because this is like the ultimate goal is you live on a farm right now. And for whatever reason, you paved a go-kart track in your backyard. That would be like dreamscape because you could do this all. And like who, who the fuck cares about lap time? Like you don't even need barriers if you have open land. I want to get to a place where people can do that. I don't know if it's Wyoming. <laughs> it's not LA. Well, 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 Florida, the Duracens have uh, a little little uh, track in their front yard. Um, in Wisconsin, there's uh, the Myers, Sam Meyer, who's racing NASCAR. He's got a little go-kart track at their place. Really? Another person in Florida that has like a miniature track, I know. Uh, it's a guy in like Kentucky, I think. Kentucky or Tennessee that has a track that's baller. Is there, there's never, no cheap I never, way to I do it. I got invited to once. It is baller. Proper there, racetrack. Really? Like a go-kart track. Proper go-kart track at this guy's place. It's private. Just has his buddies come over. This guy's loaded. How, yeah, like how expensive is that? Is there a cheap way to do it? Yeah, there's a cheap way to do it. Is it's, just how, it's just how long, you know, the pavement's going to last if you didn't, you know, do the proper grading and you know what kind of asphalt you use and what climate you're in and make are you it getting shitty. a lot of rain huh make it shitty it's better okay so here's a fun story um when we were younger 
um, in Atlanta, a friend of mine had this 30 acre property out in North Georgia. Yeah. Maybe a little bit bigger, 40 acres. And they had a farm and they had this back area and they were like, Hey, you know, you guys can kind of build a little track if you want. So we rented a Bobcat and dug up a track that we were going to make a dirt road course. That's so cool. And then it rained. We gave the bobcat back and it rained before it could set. And it got all rutted out. But we actually built, a, we were building like a dirt, we bought two like shitty carts. Wow. It was way too bumpy. And we were like, oh man, we can't, we don't want to spend the money to go regrade this. And yeah. like, so we. Uh, Did you ever think about going to a different platform? Well, we ended up using four wheelers. Mm, yeah. It made it a four wheeler track when time trial that. But no, I mean, I, I bet to do a small little track, I mean, it's going to cost you a hundred grand probably. Okay. Bare minimum, bare minimum, a hundred K for like a two mile, like a, a miler, three quarter miler, three quarter miler, probably a hundred thousand. That's a lot of money, but it's, it's but money. it's not a mill. No, no, no. I think if, if you have, if you're that, doing, if you're doing no curbs, I feel like you need some you, you go and maybe you do the first cut yourself. You get a Bobcat, right? And you, you're doing the first go, you know, you get in the asphalt guys come out and do one, one round of, of smoothing down, grading it. And, you know, not using maybe the most expensive race asphalt. And yeah, I, I think you could probably do it for hundred K for like a half, three quarter mile. Is it expensive to put curbs in? Yeah. What? Yeah. Is it really? It's not like crazy expensive, but it's not cheap. Because I feel like those are crucial. They're crucial. That's I know crucial. a track for a long time that didn't have proper curbs because when they built the track, it was too. It's more than kind of like moved their budget too high. They finally put curbs in, but for years they didn't have it. Dude, did you ever drive a Reno? Yeah. Yeah, Reno had like those. <laughs> those oh, the really big. Those are old school ones. Yeah. They just never put new ones in. That would like bend a spindle if you even got just, a wheel on it. If you thought about putting a wheel on it, <laughs> pen axle. <laughs> this rough, crazy, rough. Yeah. Okay. So drivers can be doing a whole multitude of things. They can be building yes. their own track in their backyard, or they could be simming in virtual <laughs> reality, or they can be just obliterating into their mindscape, or they could finding, be, or they could be finding a new career. <laughs> <laughs> will will racing be back before the end of the year uh oh, i don't know yeah what do you think i think it's gonna be split it's, right it's gonna be tough well here's the deal let's say june one comes around and the governments are like okay cool we can start holding events again but the borders aren't back to be opened Dun, dun. So now you have driver, international drivers that may be racing IndyCar that can't get across the borders, driving or flying. Yeah. Right? Shit. Are there any teams that are based? When is that going to, when do you think that'd be lifted? IMSA. Think about it. IMSA really would be really hit hard by really? that because there are Canadian teams. There are tracks in Canada they race at and they have a ton of international drivers. Ton. What would happen there? Get and, your license, TJ. And it's the most drivers. Get, get your license. Opportunities. Get it. 
Quick question. I like it. Opportunity. Yeah. Wow. When do you think the borders would open? That's, I mean, if you knew that, you'd be a millionaire. No, but what? Yeah. But opportunities. Here's an opportunity. You're right. A racing league, a a franchise racing league. Mm, Why you ask? Why, why you say? Why you tell me why you say? Why I say? Why you say? It's your idea. Uh, yeah. I mean, we've talked about the economy of racing right now at somewhat great length and the whole thing. I mean, there's no protection for all the drivers. When, when this all happens, it kind of exposes what the sport is, is kind of predicated on. And I think it is, it, 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 it needs money to survive. That's the biggest problem is you talk to anyone about racing and you need to find a way to get money so you can go racing because it's going to cost money. You know, even carding will cost money, grassroots levels and any way up to the pros. So how do we find that money? Um, And it's the big question and everybody has an answer to it. You know, most don't, but you can either climb your way up using scholarship money or different avenues uh, you can win races and just get opportunities from people, which is definitely a way to go. There's yep. manufacturer money or there's sponsors. And a vast majority of the drivers, because there's very limited manufacturer rides out there. And, you know, we counted it up. It's like, what, you got eight GTLM rides available, which are, those are kind of like the the factory funded deals. And then there's a few in GTD that are, they're factory supported, maybe not completely. Um, and then you have kind of gentlemen drivers that are chipping in on it. But you're kind of running into this problem when it's like it's only eight, eight seats plus a handful of other seats that are factory funded. And then everybody else has to find a way to pay buttloads of money to go. And like buttloads, like oh, racing is so expensive and overpriced everything. A front wing is too much money. <laughs> Agreed. Tires are way too much money. Brakes, yeah. everything. Every consumable thing and everything that you can replace on a race car is just, it's a lot of money. And it makes sense. There's design, yeah, there's technology. A scale. Yep. It, yeah, there's a scale to it. But at the end of the day, the racer, for the most part, is responsible for those types of things, unless you're like in a factory funded deal. Uh, there's very little teams out there that are like literally hiring drivers and paying them a salary to go racing for them. That really, it does happen, but it's, it's very few and far between. For the most part, as a race car driver, as you come up, you have a plan to make a salary through the avenue you choose. Right. You know, and hopefully you get to a team where they're like, hey, here's a check every year for this amount of money. Isn't it great? And, and a few people enjoy that. So it's somewhat problematic. And then you look at other sports and the differences of like a guy like Scott Dixon in the prime of his career in IndyCar. He's amazing. Right. I don't know what that guy's salary is, but I don't think it's anything close to Tom Brady's. <laughs> a year? A year. No, I bet it's a tenth, a tenth of it. For the risks that Scott Dixon takes every right. year. 
And, you know, there is still a fan base that's available to him. Sure, it's not at the global level of someone like Tom Brady, but there is a fan base. And the point is, this is an entire industry. It's a sport, just like any of the other sports that are out there. Yet, it's there's nothing in place to pay actually, out you know professional race car drivers. Keep talking. I'm going to look. I'm actually kind of interested in this because Instagram is always a good kind of gauge. So let's go Tom Brady. Keep talking. I'm probably, just look he probably up. has like 10 mil. 7.5 mil. It's Dixie. Has, have, Dixie must have, I would guess, 400,000. Not even. 108. But he's not really a big. He's not he's out not in big. social media and everything. He's quiet. Tom Brady's pretty, pretty out there. Who would be like the top IndyCar driver that you would say? What's the New Garden at? No, uh, Marco Andretti. Marco, yeah, Marco. I mean, he's boys with Luda and Kevin Hart, and he's only at 108. Dude, is it, are we? Is any car just capped at 108,000? No, or 100,000? Some, something thousand? Someone we're forgetting. Um, go through. Oh, oh, oh! What's Montoya at? No, Jesus, <laughs> he's not in it. Um, is there any let's car? go. Let's go NASCAR. NASCAR will go. Jimmy. Jimmy. And can't Jimmy's do Dale anymore, but Ooh, hold on, I gotta do one thing real Dude, quick. Jimmy. I gotta do one thing real quick. Sorry. I would look, but I deleted Instagram. No, you didn't. Yeah. What? I didn't delete my account, but I just deleted it from my You account. don't use it. I haven't used it the whole quarantine. I did that one post for cafe, but other than that, okay. Jimmy Johnson sanity is solved. Is he not on Instagram? No, he is. Of course he is. Let's see Ken Roxon in Supercross. Yeah. I mean, the Supercross guys are good on social. 1.4 million. Yeah. They, no, they're good. Okay, I mean, I don't think any. I mean, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Let's just look at Dale because he's the biggest one. Dale Jr. He doesn't even have a million. What? Okay, so we're gonna go. Maybe it's deserved. Hmm. Okay, oh, the, so oh the 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 payout differences. Yeah. No, yeah. but I know what you're saying. So, but but you're, part you're, of that comes from TV. A lot of it comes from TV. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. But, I know what you're saying and creating more of a franchise and, and TV packages where the teams and the drivers are getting more of, of these TV packages. But I just don't think like on a global scale, you're going to get even close to the TV package, the, the, the numbers, right? Like the, the you're, not gonna get even, you're not going to get even close. I bet, I bet best case scenario on a consistent basis, you're lucky if you get 700,000 people, half a million people to a 700,000 people watch mm. a race on any format Listen, collectively. Here's the thing. It's hard to... Or I'm talking about like the way we'd want to do it with like sports car racing, GT3s, yeah, touring cars, whatever. 
I think it's a hard sell, man. Or open wheel. I, I love the idea. I, would I throw, love the concept. Well, okay. So the, the ultimate concept is you create it just like the National Football League. You have franchises. You 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 want to start a franchise. There's a buy-in. You pay X amount of money. You got investors for the team. You you are from some location. So I'm sorry. Real quick. Yeah. Little Nico, I think went into the shower with all his clothes on. <laughs> he is soaking wet. His t-shirt is soaked. Did he do that by himself? Knowing him, yes. And he's really? just cracking up right now. He thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> I think he went into the shower with all his clothes on. No way. Oh my gosh. The kid's crazy. He wanted to get shot with the rain, my wife says. That's funny. So he is soaking wet. Okay, back back to the sorry, back no. to the uh, the ultimate way this would work out. Yeah, so you have these franchises, investors, and they're they're from whatever location. And I think I think that the somehow bringing into this the tribal mentality that people yeah. have about having a team from their city. Um, I think that's how you can kind of ge generate like an, or an organic interest in the sport, a bigger following, a bigger following. Like some people don't like basketball necessarily, but they go and watch it because they're, they're supporting their city. And, so how does and it's this sport. work when we have these motorsports hubs where yeah. you got all these teams out of Indy, all these teams out of Charlotte, all these teams out of Florida, and they're all pretty close around each other all these teams out of atlanta sure right like they're all pretty much in the same rep in the same city yeah so you're gonna have three cities represented you know i i, I mean i get what you're saying and i like i said i love the concept it's i hard. just think it would be really hard to structure it right it makes sense for people economically sense. um no i think it could, economically i think it could work as a, as a good way to distribute Ultim money. Ultimately. Ultimately. I think the hard sell is, is that, making it make sense to the general population. Right. Uh, like, oh, this is this is a fran this is this franchise, or like, and there aren't and there I'm I'm sure there's a lot of teams that would be very bad at doing it, you know? Right. Like there's think about a flying lizard, how good they are. They create a brand. So I just saw someone here in Carlsbad with a flying lizard shirt on, they're like a vintage yeah. flying lizard shirt, right? Yeah, okay, they're right. Ball racing, but they're iconic. They are iconic, and there's very few sports car teams out there that carry that anyway. kind of brand presence that wasn't a manufacturer. Yeah, right? yeah, that's cool. That's interesting. Flying lizard. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I think the biggest thing is that. The teams don't make any they don't make any money from the fans, from TV ratings, from from any viewership. And they all they do is they make some winnings. And and really it's not a lot. It's not a lot right. to be won. F1 oh, is really the only oh, standalone. For, for for all for all you people out there that don't know what like a uh, race winner and say like continental challenge or something like that gets <laughs> it's nothing <laughs> and it what costs like 30 and, grand to be there oh my god no, the, i remember there was like one or two years where the honda 
and Volkswagen money was really good. And if you want to race in a Honda or Volkswagen between all the contingencies and the prize money, you could maybe, even if you paid full boat for yeah. your ride, you could maybe break even on the weekend or even make like a thousand or two. Wow. Maybe. But in general, and usually the deal that you work out with the team, you have to give a little bit to the team, even yeah. if you're paying full boat. You're, dude, it's not even close to covering the cost of your race. Yeah. And, and there's that's one of the reasons why everyone talks, you know, about dirt track racing and oval racing and racing their local race. It's like, I talked to someone recently about that. I'm like, why do you race this? He's like, because I can afford to race doing this because it costs me 150, 200 bucks to go racing on dirt track. Yeah. I mean, and there's some winning tires. And it's a thousand bucks to win. Yeah. Makes $500 for second, $300 for third. I can finish third and still make money. I can finish 10th and break even. Right. Right. So there's that pot. There's that pot. Yeah. And, and I think having that, that at a bigger scale yes. would do, and, and a big pot that's organized by the, the, the league, the coalition of all of these people for the greater good of racing we're all, instead of getting all these individual sponsors and it's so individualized, let's be united. We are all race car drivers. We are teams in racing. Let's unite on one front, have a big pot, have a great TV deal, have it be great at content creation. So it's good at social media. It props right. up the pro league. It props up all the ladder series. Right. And it gets these drivers positioned to be superstars. Right. And... The point of it is that the series and the teams can pay the, the drivers and that right. the series pays the teams and they have now a vested interest to be like really organized and like brand present. And you see like someone like Flying Lizards, we'll see a bunch of those teams. Flying Lizard is a great example of like a Sonoma team. Like there, there you go. There's a Sonoma team. Yeah, yeah. no, it is. You know, Formula One already pretty much does that. And I think that's what Liberty is trying to do is kind of bring that model a little bit. What have we got? Oh, have we gone to white claw now? Or yeah. truly? Uh, moved to no, the white claw. Yeah. White claw life. That's what's available. You like, you like those things? Yeah. Seltzer. It, honestly, it tastes Ugh. like flavored water. Ugh. Oh, so gross. Why? Yeah. Not about it. It's not, like, not about, about it. Flavor. Uh, black what cherry flavor? is really good. What flavor are you drinking right now? Lime. It's not the best. Yeah, it's not the best. It's not the best, but it's not quarantine life. I can't be picky. I hear you. No, but I think that's what Formula One and Liberty Media Group are trying to do, and that's what they're trying to do with this new payout system is, you know, is to be a little bit more like the NFL, NBA, and, right? It's an American company, right? And I think they see how that works and how you can also have stability, yeah. right? Think about, think about even, like, NFL teams are not cheap. None of these sports teams are cheap to run, yeah. right? And none of these teams go away, even if they're propped up by billionaires. Mm -hmm. None of the teams go away. None of these teams like have that much financial trouble, yeah. right? They're all able to put a team on that's competitive, and yeah, you know, even some of the most, even some of the teams with the biggest budgets put together some of the worst teams, <laughs> right? And spend tons of money. Sure. Um, so. Uh, it's I think it could add a lot of I think it could add where it's super beneficial. It could add a lot of stability yeah. to 
racing series where these teams, you see some of these teams, they just disappear out of thin air yeah. and they'll come back a decade later. Okay, there's some teams that are just, were, well, they were going to come back this year, I heard. Um, and I can't remember the names off the top of my head, but they'd been out of the sport for like five, six, seven, eight years. Wow. Just, I mean, they're still in the sport, right? They're prepping cars for like vintage racing or club racing or just track day guys. Is you it know, is it like a, a money guy? Like Porsche teams. Is it like huh? a money guy that's like propping it up and then? Well, that's usually what it is. So you'll see it with like the Porsche teams, right? Yeah. You'll see they'll have, they have a prep shop. They build cars for people that just you know want a GT3 Cup car or older GT3 Cup car to go pound around at PCA events. Yeah. And then there'll be a guy that comes in and goes, "Hey, I want to race IMSA." They go, "Oh, we we can do that. We've raced in IMSA before or Grand Am or whatever in the past." And they'll go do a year or two, right? And then they can't find another person to fund it. And they're not going to fund it because it's not part of their business. It's not their true business model. It's not to go racing, right? They're a prep shop that also races. So it's, it's propped up. Their business isn't propped up by that, but their race team is propped up from having that one big money guy. Yeah. Right. And it's not in their interest to go keep looking for, you know, customers because it's not part of their real it's not a main part of their revenue stream yeah yeah right it's a, it's a nice little added and you know like I'm, I'm not sure if you know this as well but a lot of like in the grand am days man you weren't really making money unless you could put three to four cars on the track yeah one car you're losing money wow. two cars you're breaking even making a little bit of money not breaking even but you're making a little bit of money that's the thing like three to four cars you're making some good money there's a there's very few versions of racing that make like owning a team economic sense yeah yeah i i refrain from saying that because i want people to invest in it i think a lot of the times what ends up happening is it's such a passion project that people will forego the economic limitations they'll bypass that just because they love racing that's generally what happens it's not like it's such an investment opportunity i can't i can't make this investment quicker nobody's ever like that it's just because racing is it's so like emotionally driven people love that shit so i think what we're getting at here is that yeah the the teams being able to have a support there and then infrastructure so that they can pay their people pay to be a team make some money pay their drivers everybody starts to get a little bit happier now the other thing too is if we the thing is why I like it somewhat like regionalized and and having teams that represent more of like, you know, North America as a whole instead of like the stations that you right. can go to in certain p- hubs of racing. It, I get it. I get that that has popped up because of the series that we've raced with. But it's it's still important to go to Seattle and the money that's in Seattle, the corporate sponsorship regionally that you could go after as a sporting team in that area is so much more available than if you're some random schmucky race car driver going individually to all these different companies. Okay, so how that only works, though, is if that track, so let's put Sonoma, right? Mm-hmm. So you get some of the tech companies, right? San Sonoma's Francisco, great. big companies. The problem is you're going to have to have a minimum four to five races at sonoma for it to make sense for that racing series yeah right because maybe you you know if you have if you have if you have 17 game 
you know, NFL season, 16 game NFL season, guess what? Yeah. How many of those games are at home, right? Eight of them, nine of them. Okay. So remember, there's a lot of money that's brought in for that organization on ticket sales, yeah. right? Sales from, from all their vendors. You know, I'm sure, I don't know how the TV packages work, but I'm sure when it's a home game, the TV package is a little bit different, yeah. right? So, um, how do merchandise you, sales at the, at the facility, you're going to be selling more when it's at the facility. This so, is just sprinkles on top. Those are sprinkles on top. What I, I consider those things like that's the sprinkles on top. Okay. You know, I think it's, you have the whole infrastructure and yeah, maybe each track you go to twice. And like, I would, I would ask you, what do you think about going to a location racing at the same place twice? Cause I, I remember doing it in karting often and it never, it never like bothered me because it's every day is different. Like, I think that's I the think, thing is like it in racing because there's different tracks. It it so overemphasizes the track and like how different it is. And yeah. I get it. Like different tracks definitely race differently, and and like different lines work at some places than others. But a lot of the times, like you're working on the same skill set. It's just like a, you're popped in at like a different atmosphere. Boom. So doing the same shit. I think, it's just I think you could definitely race at the same tracks. But I think the reason why we don't really do it is because a lot of these races are associated with like a big world famous spectacle event. Right. So yeah. like, you're not going to hold another date. You're not going to hold a 12 hours of Daytona. You're not going to hold a six hours of Sebring or three hour Sebring race. Right. Because then it's like, does it take away from the prestige of the big event? Now the counter argument to that is they do race, right? Like Daytona, there's two races at Daytona. Right. Yeah. They still do that. Yeah. They do the 500 and then they have the shorter race. Right. Charlotte, I oh. think has two. Charlotte has two races. Right. Yeah. So a lot of tracks that have in NASCAR have two I races. Think, I think people accept it more on ovals because it's more. I, I think they do. Because like when you look at football, you don't really see the stadium as an X factor in in the in the sport, in the game, because at the end the of the field, day, it's a right? hundred yard the field. field is, yeah. should be the same shit. It's not. You play in Pittsburgh versus playing in San Francisco. It's different. Yeah. And that, if you're that used is, to playing on natural grass and then you have to play on turf. Yeah. It, and, you don't play on turf and practice on turf. It's a big difference. And temperature too. It, it makes yeah. a really big difference, much more than like people really care to think about. And right. I think those are pretty similar to what we experience when we go from track to track. And so it's like instead of overemphasizing the track and like how – how different it is and like they're racing at this place let's just like treat it like a stadium treat it like this is where we play the game right. and and now focus on the game yeah you know and and in that way then i feel like it would be okay to go to a track two or three times and maybe do a reverse grid for like yeah. uh, you know one of the races or something and or where where you finished where maybe where you you do a cool event where it's a little bit more condensed where you finish that first race the second race, that's where there's no qualifying anymore. That's just where you start. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that's one thing that this opened the conversation up and it opened up. I think quarantine in itself has opened up the conversation about like thinking outside the box, thinking outside the box, thinking about outside the box, about new ideas to how to make the rate your racing season still go on. 
and still get those amount of races and that you want to get on. Yeah. Figure out of the box how to keep your business alive. Thinking out of the box of when your business or when does business get, get going again and we're allowed to go back out. Do I really need this massive building? Do I really need to have all these people work in my office? Yeah. Can 50% of my people actually work at home? Yeah, right, right, right. right? You got to rethink it all. Do they really need to be in here from nine, nine to five, nine to six? Here, or can they roll in just for the meeting they need to be at? Right. Can we, can we downsize our building? Like maybe we don't need a hundred thousand square feet. Maybe we could work off 50. Yeah. 25% of the people work remote. Now they seemed like it worked fine. We didn't have any trouble, especially with the technology we have. So I think you're going to see it's a, it's an opportunity for everyone, for everything revamp. to just revamp, rethink, come up with new ideas. Here's what the, worked during this period. What didn't work during this period. Here's the question. Yeah. Who of what exists right now, uh, like racetracks around the U S and maybe, maybe Mexico, maybe Canada. What, what tracks and what do you, in, do you see any like teams who would be involved in this? If you were to make a schedule, a calendar, what tracks would you include in it? You would go Daytona. Would you do Daytona? Yeah, I think so. You know, we, we've talked about this, okay? Day, I think you got Daytona. You go Daytona, Road Atlanta, know. Austin. You would go Watkins Glen. You would go Sonoma. You said Road you Atlanta? Could, no, I already said Road Atlanta. I, okay. Did you you say could throw Long, Long Beach in there if you're still allowed to do temporary circuits. Like one of the t- Canadian temporary circuits. Yeah, like Montreal. Kind of like... Not what Formula E is doing, but you want to go to these where you're you're getting a lot of people and you're close to a metropolitan city yeah. that has a lot of business headquarters there. Just like where you can start to bring in, just like any pro sporting team. Yeah, you know, just yeah. like any pro sporting team. So you got what about Sebring? Would you do Sebring? Yeah, I mean it's a classic. I think it's one of those ones you have to. It's so. a classic, but it doesn't have. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. It'd be like some. It's one of the Tampa biggest like, attended races, though. Yeah, yeah, it's so. true. It'd be a little bit harder to get like a corporate. And think about it, unless you're in Miami or Orlando, you could do Sebring Homestead. Is, you could do Homestead. You could do Homestead. Yeah, you could do Homestead. But I, I just, so. I, I don't want to go to Florida too much. That's the thing. No, no, I know. <laughs> Let's just refrain from giving Florida three races because that's just not okay. Yeah. Um, um, we're going to have to start cutting this down because little Nico is okay. We'll trying to it. do it, trying to do his nap. Okay. We'll close this thing out. Um, let's just finish this thought real quick. Um, finish it. you got Sonoma, you got Portland, maybe Portland. Right. I think you maybe. need some, like there's, there's a track in, excuse me. <laughs> there's a track in, uh, Seattle area, yep. like Tacoma Pacific raceways. <laughs> Yep. It's pretty cool. It's not that big of a track, but it races really well. My second time ever in a race car was there. Really? With, Speed, with Ross Bentley, Speed Secrets, no when he kidding. did his little racing school. Yeah. How'd you like it? Loved it. It's really cool. Turn one is like, that's dope. Yeah. 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 So like, so you, you kind of hit the hubs because like, I, I feel like wa- getting Washington involved in the game is important. They are such good sports fans. Yeah, you know the twelfth man in Seattle for the Seahawks—they're great. So there's support there, and there's a car culture there too. 
Yep. Um, Circuit of the Americas, I I don't love the track, but I think Whatever. it needs to be involved it's in Aust- it. It's Austin, man. It's Austin. It's, it's, it's great. City. Yeah, it's it would be great. Then Road America. Yep. Got to have Road America. Would you do Mid-Ohio? No. Yeah. It's in the middle of nowhere in Ohio. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. Mid-Ohio is a good track, but uh, middle of nowhere, that would be hard to put a stadium there. Yep. Um, any others? You got to go Middle America now. Probably no. Indianapolis, the Indy GP. No. No? No. You wouldn't do that? No, you could go. You could go Indy. You'd probably so. have to, but okay. So, um, and then the car and just really quickly. Yeah. I, it could be a GT3 car. It could be an open wheel car <laughs> or it could be a touring car. It could be, it could be, honestly, it could be anything you wanted it to. I just like the GT3 touring car because you can get the manufacturers involved right. and manufacturers could team up with one of, with the franchise. Um, and you could have, manufacture money going to specific franchises. Do you think that it has to be for a manufacturer to get behind it? Do you think the car has to be like, like look like their car? No. So then I think open wheel. Okay. Okay. I think that TBD, TBD, but like how many, how many sponsors of like, you know, NFL teams stretch it to make it work? They right. stretch what makes sense because yeah, it's the 49ers. Like of course, right. you know? No, so I like, hear you. If it's if it's good enough, I think you can get like different money behind it, regardless. No, for sure. For sure. Well, let's sleep, let's keep thinking about it and we'll re- revisit this with maybe some more ideas. And yeah. We're we're not we don't own these ideas, guys. We we just want it for the betterment of the sport. Yeah, so, right, right. You know, like take it, run with it. <laughs> run with it seriously and on uh, that note i gotta take my kid to a nap and run love it like it boom boom All right it. guys thanks for listening and uh see you on the next one <laughs>